Hey there, this is Michael Burris. I'm the lead pastor of Summit View Church in Irving, Kentucky, and this is our podcast. I hope this podcast encourages you, I hope it inspires you, and I hope it helps you to start seeing your life from God's perspective. Thanks for joining us today. Now enjoy the message. We are currently in the second week of a brand new series that we're calling Epic, the greatest story ever told. And in this, in this series, we're looking at some of the greatest stories that have been told um, throughout the Bible, and we're looking to capture the power and the impact of each story. Siri, we are looking at some of the greatest stories that have been told. <laughs> okay, Siri. <laughs> y'all, y'all aren't talking back to me enough, so Siri thought that she could uh, lighten the mood in here. <laughs> Whatever. That's creepy. Um, so in this series, we're looking at some of those greatest stories that have ever been told throughout the Bible, and we're looking at how um, we can really find the power and the impact. Maybe you've heard these stories before as a child, and we really want to recapture kind of that that. Uh, that mystery, that, that impact that it had on you the first time, or maybe this is your first time ever hearing these stories, period. And I hope that you'll find something in these stories, and I'm going to work my hardest to see how we can apply some of these principles and these awesome, uh, what would almost be Sunday school stories, and apply them to our life. So um, some of these are, are stories you might recognize. Uh, last week we talked about Adam and Eve. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, Moses, we're going to be talking about Abraham, we're going to be talking about uh, Jonah and the big fish, all these, all these awesome stories, and you might recognize the stories, they are pretty popular in church, and, and even if you haven't ever been to church before, you're probably still going to recognize some of these names, and maybe you know some of these stories as well. So, back in the year 2000, can you guys remember back then, it was like much simpler times, nobody had to worry about anything. I was in fourth grade, and <laughs> some of y'all weren't, but, but some of y'all weren't even born yet. But back in the year 2000, um, there was these, these guys, this board of directors, Mark Randolph, Reed Hastings, um, they were co-founders of this company, and this guy named Barry McCarthy. And uh, they're, they're the board of directors for this company that you've probably never heard of uh, called Netflix. And at the time, Netflix in the year 2000 was, was losing money real, real fast. In fact, by the end of the year, they were projected in 2000 to lose $50 million. And so they had been trying to get in contact with this, uh, this other company for months and months called Blockbuster. Some of y'all, raise your hand if you remember Blockbuster. Y'all remember Friday nights going and picking out a VHS tape and saying, I'm watching this baby. Then you don't rewind it and they charge you 20 more dollars or whatever to rewind it for you. So, so Netflix goes to, um, they've been trying to get this meeting with, with Blockbuster in hopes that Blockbuster would kind of partner with them or buy them out in a way um, and they could partner together. And finally... They, uh, they, they got together with, uh, with Blockbuster and have a meeting. Some of you guys are looking at me real crazy right now. So let me explain to you if you don't know what Blockbuster is. Let me tell you, um, Blockbuster, uh, it was a store that you actually got to go in. You, you walked in this store, and then you would rent VHS tapes, if you know what those are. You'd rent VHS tapes. Eventually, it got to DVDs. If you didn't rewind, rewind your VHS tape, God have mercy on your soul, because um, you weren't getting a tape the next week, at least if you're 
you're in my house, that's what my dad said. You didn't rewind it, so you're not getting one next week. So you take these tapes. It's almost like a library, but you'd have to, you know, you got to pay for it. you got to rent it. And so you take these tapes, you take these DVDs home, and you'd watch them, and then you'd bring them back. And it was this video rental service. Um, and then, and then on, at the, on the other hand, at the time, Netflix, you actually, it was a mail-in service. And so you got to one, have one DVD and you mailed it in. And then uh, when you're finished with it, they would, they would mail you another one. You'd watch that. You'd mail it back in when you were done. And they'd keep going down your list for you. Now, at this time, in the year 2000, Blockbuster was booming. I, I still remember the smell of a Blockbuster walking in. Blockbuster was booming and there was like no end in sight. And so these board members of Netflix, they finally got their chance to get with the CEO of Blockbuster. His name was John Antioco, um, or Antioco, I don't know how to pronounce it. He, he brings them in, and then Netflix pitches him this crazy idea. They pitched a deal where Netflix and Blockbuster would join forces, and Netflix would take care of the online side of the business. Um, and then, because at the time, like, the internet wasn't, like, as big as it is right now. And so Netflix would take care of the online side of the business, and the blockbusters would run the retail stores, the brick-and-mortar stores. And, and, uh, and where am I? So they would, they would run this side, and then the CEO of, of Blockbuster, when they, they pitched him this deal, and they said, we'll run the online. If you run the brick-and-mortar stores, we should partner together. And they pitched him this idea, and then the CEO, John Antioco, replied probably one of the statements that has aged worse in uh, the past hundred years. He said this. He said, the dot-com hysteria is completely overblown. <laughs> Meaning, hey, this, this, this internet thing, it's going to blow over. Like, it's, 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 it's out of control. And so this blockbuster team proceeded to inform Netflix that the Netflix business model, because they came in pitching a completely different idea, and the Netflix business model, they said, uh, they said, Netflix and every other on st online store just like it were not sustainable and they would never make enough money. They would never make any money. And so the Blockbuster CEO, um, he, they debated for a while and he said, okay, if I were to, um, to partner with you, how much money would we be talking? And Netflix said, $50 million. And the Blockbuster CEO cracked this smile and, and it's written about in, in a book. I can't remember the name of the book, but he cracked this smile and had to hold back his laughter. And so fast forward to today, and there's only one Blockbuster store left in the entire world. It is in a place called Bend, Oregon. There's only one Blockbuster store left. They're almost completely out of business. Meanwhile, Netflix continues to boom. Not only that, but Netflix played probably the most influential role into the beginning of streaming services as we know today. Like they were the first ones to stream uh, on demand uh, movies and, and TV show content. And they had this crazy idea that they pitched to them. And you had two opposite positions here. You had Netflix that pitched this idea to Blockbuster that was really paradigm shifting at the time. Like it just, it changed up. It, it sounded crazy. Nothing like it had ever been seen before. And Blockbuster took the stance of the, the current culture like, and literally laughed in their face when they pitched them this crazy idea. Have you ever made a decision that seemed crazy at the time, 
But in the end, it really paid off for you. Or maybe you're on the other side of that, and maybe there was a crazy decision that you were posed with, and you rejected it, and so today you're really kicking yourself because it did pay off, but just not for you. Like maybe you didn't invest your stock in the right company at the right time when it was presented to you, and you could be a millionaire today, but uh, you're not. And who did anybody here get did get caught up in the um, the GameStop stock? By I just wanted to know if if we had any rich people. Any no, I'm just kidding, y'all. I'm just joking. Just breathe. Um, but maybe that's you. Maybe you had a a, a crazy decision that you just could have gotten but you rejected and now today you're really regretting that so this morning we're going to be looking at the story of Noah and we're going to see what principles we can pull from his story that can add value to our lives so the title of today's message is this makes Noah sense this makes Noah sense y'all come on give me some pity I spent an hour trying to think of that title God, I thought it was going to be a much greater hit than that. All right, let me pray for you and we'll release for the day. No, I'm just kidding. We're good. Let's start, um, start today in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 out of the New Living Translation. It says this, It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. All right, and then we're going to read also in Genesis chapter 6, 7, and touch on uh, 8 here, okay? So so bear with me. It's going to be a little bit, but it's important to set the story up. Starting in verse 9, it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God. Verse 10. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. What a, what a terrible... Who would name their son Ham? I mean, just... Anyway. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark, which is like a large boat of cypress wood, which that word cypress actually translates to a type of wood that no one really knows what it was. at the So... Um, he said, make, make your ark out of this special type of wood, whatever it might be, and, uh, and make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you're going to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high. Put a door on the side of the ark Make it lower, middle, and upper decks. You guys, can you sketch this out for me by now? Probably not because I'm just blazing through it. Read it. Read it on your own. It's great to read the Bible. Um, But I'm going to bring floodwaters to the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you'll enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Skip on down to verse 22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. That's very important. 
Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. Chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. And I'm skipping around in verse 7 here, or in chapter 7, verse 5. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. And after the seven days, the flood waters came on the earth. The earth was flooded for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the, the waters of the flood stayed on the earth for 150 years. And then finally, chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. So Noah trusted God, even when it looked real crazy, even when God was warning Noah of things that had never even happened before. Like, like the, the earth had never been flooded before. There hadn't been a drop of rain that had landed on, on the face of the earth yet. And so he's saying, hey, I'm going to flood this thing. I need you to build a boat. And if I'm Noah, I'm like... I, but, but why? I don't, I don't understand. This is, you know, you're, you say you're going to flood the earth. What is a flood? And so Noah trusted God even when it looked crazy. Noah still did what God told him to do. See, we have this, we have one of our, what we call family values here at the church. We've got four of them. We have big fun. We, we want to be a church of big fun, bold faith, radical generosity, and unconditional love. And, and bold faith is something that's really important to us because we can't live this life alone. Like, you and I cannot do this alone. We weren't created to do this alone. And so we have to lean on God to make a way when there seems to be no way. And, and we're a church of bold faith, and that means that we trust God in ways that make us seem crazy. This has been my, my life up to this point since I've become a Christian, is that someone early on in my Christian walk had taught me how to rely on God even when things looked crazy, even when I couldn't make sense of it all. I knew I could still count on, on God, and Noah was the same way. You know, a lot of scholars will say that Noah waited almost a hundred years before God flooded the earth. Between the time that God told him and the time the floods came, a lot of scholars will say that was almost a hundred years' time. God warned him of the flood when he was around, if that's the case, if he was around 500 years old. You're like, people don't live that long. You're right. They all got flooded. And the flood came when he was 600. And so that's a lot of waiting. Like, if I'm in Noah's position, year, about year 20, I'm probably going to start giving it in. Like, wait, what? It hasn't happened. But he, he did this for so long, and that's a, that's a lot of waiting. And so, finally, God says, okay, now's the time. He's, thank God. Or thank you, I guess. I don't know what he would say. Um, Y'all get it in a second. And then Noah loads up his family on the boat, and he brings these animals too but not important to our story today. And he's most likely thinking at the time, okay, this is happening. It's finally coming to pass. And then the Bible says something that's really crazy for me, that if you, you could read right over it if you tried, that Noah and his family remained on the ark for seven days until the first raindrop hit the earth. 
So after, after almost 100 years, he's like, yes, this is it. And he charges in. And then he sits and waits for seven more days. But you know what that tells me is that that's good news. Because even when we don't see God working, it doesn't mean he's not working. Even when we don't see the evidence, God is still working something behind the scenes. How long have you been waiting for something to happen? I know that waiting game is tough, whether it's you like waiting on your spouse to finally come along, or maybe you've been waiting on that job to open up, or maybe you're just you're, you're looking for fame and you're waiting on your big break to finally make it. Whatever it may be, even if you haven't seen the first sign of evidence that it's going to happen, you can know that God is working on your behalf. He hasn't left you. You may not see the rain yet, but God is behind the scenes stirring something up. He's moving pieces around. You aren't forgotten because at, the, at, at verse, um, chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, God remembered Noah. As long as Noah trusted him, God remembered him. And he hasn't forgotten about you. And if you continue to trust him, whatever your decision may be, whatever you may be waiting for, He's going to remember you. God remembered Noah and his family because of Noah's trust in him. So don't give up. Keep pressing. Keep believing. Keep working for it. Because when you trust God in crazy ways, it gets his attention. I want to talk to you a little bit about trust today. I want to, in fact, the idea that I want you to hold on to today if you, as you leave um, today, I want you to take this, if you don't remember anything else, Take this away, that you can trust God even when it seems crazy. You can trust God even when it doesn't make sense. You can trust Him. Number one, it's very important for us to know that God has your best in mind. God has your best in mind. He, he's not waiting for you to fail. He wants the best for you. He's got that in His mind when He's making decisions and He's making moves before, but before you can trust God, you have to believe this. You have to believe that God wants the best for you. Because it's really hard to trust somebody that you can't really rely on. You can rely on God. He wants the best for you. Anyone here that's really ever led a team before of people, you know this. You know that before you can speak into people's lives, they have to know that you want what's best for them. Because there's going to be a day where you have to have a tough conversation with somebody, and if, you, if they don't know that you love them more than anything, if they, if they don't know that you love them more than you desire to correct them, they're not going to trust you. You have to, you have to build that trust. They're not going to receive that from you otherwise. I mean, it, it happens like for me the same way in church, right? Like, I'm not going to come up to you the first time we've ever met and start correcting all of your issues in life. That's not the kind of pastor that I want to be. I'm not going to come up to you and start just correcting you because I don't know you yet. We haven't built that um, relational investment yet. It doesn't work like that. But after a while, maybe we get to know each other and you start um, seeing me as your pastor and then then we can tackle some tough areas in your life. Like you can't, you, I can't be your pastor if we can't have tough conversations. 
Okay, And God can't be your God if sometimes you don't have tough moments with Him too. The sometimes risky conversations uh, for me, this is where that relational equity lies. Sometimes that, 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 that risky conversation that we have, the, the, the tough conversations that we have, I can't be your pastor without those conversations too. I can't just stand up here all day, every day, if we know each other, and say, hey, everything's hunky-dory, if I know everything's not hunky-dory. Like, unless you, unless you invite me into that area of your life, you can't call me your pastor. I'll just be the guy that preaches on Sunday to you. And you can't truly trust God until you recognize that He wants what's best for you. That He loves you. That's, that's, that's above everything in, in, in His His agenda is that He loves you and He wants the best for you. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. Guys, you're praying for the next step. You're begging God to move. Let me tell you, God wants your next step to be your best step even more than you do. God wants your best more than you want your best. You have to trust that God is going to make it happen when it's time. And sometimes, trusting God requires us to wait. It requires us to have patience. See, patience is nothing more than just waiting with a good attitude. Waiting with a bad attitude is called impatience, right? You guys have seen those, those people at the, at the restaurant. You'll probably see them today. Um, and they're sitting there, they're tapping their foot, whatever, and they're getting uh, fussy with the waitress because the food's not come out on time, like it's her fault. And then, but, but that's impatience. But patience is simply, it's not just waiting. Patience is waiting with a good attitude. Like you're waiting, expecting God to move. And whether you see, have seen it or not, you can trust that God's working in the right things to make sure that you're going to come out on top because Romans 8.28 says all things work to the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. He's gonna, he'll, t- he'll, he'll even take your mistakes and make sure that you benefit as long as you love God and you're called according to His purposes. That means that if I love God and I'm trying to live my life and do the things that He wants me to do, He's going to take care of the rest. Hebrews chapter 11 is sometimes referred to as the hall of fame of faith. And there's so many um, people that we can see in there from biblical times. Um, Noah being one of them. We read the scripture earlier. And, and there's, there's a whole list of them. And you know what some of the similar, one of the similarities that they, that they share between them? Is that many of them had to wait on something for an extended period of time. But the difference was... That they didn't give up. They waited until they saw it come to fruition. They waited until they had that thing that God had promised them. Sometimes uh, trust requires waiting. But while you wait, you got to know that God is at work. That God is working out for your good. Number two. Number two. Real trust requires action. Real, tw- real trust requires action. Let's be real. You can say all day, yeah, I trust God. 
Um, but that trust is never proven until that trust is proven. You guys know what I mean? Like, until you have an opportunity to prove it, you can't say that you trust somebody that you haven't put action to it. I can say all day, yeah, I'm going to finally enroll back in school. Uh, yeah, I'm going to put my name in the hat for that promotion. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start eating better and going to the gym. But until you put action to those words, that's all they are, is just words. In the book of James chapter 2 in verse 18, it says this, But someone will say, You have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'm going to show you my faith by my deeds. James is saying here, you can talk the talk all you want, but until you start putting some action to what you believe, the faith that you claim is dead. The trust that you claim is dead until you put some action to it. Do you really trust God? Go ahead and take that jump. Take the leap. Do that thing. The thing that you've been putting off because it's like pretty overwhelming, do it. God won't let you fall. See, faith and trust looks like this. It's, it's really a picture of like um, a little boy that's standing on the edge of the bed, jumping to his father. And knowing that no matter what, that father's not going to drop him. That's what trust looks like in God. Sometimes it means we have to take the leap. And we've got to trust that God's going to catch us and he's not going to let us fall. But without that jump, we would never know. Let's make this practical. Okay, you trust God. When was the last time you trusted God enough that you would go and pray for someone in public? That you would risk humiliating yourself because you believe that God is good? When was the last time that you not only prayed for something but you prepared for it too. There's a story um, that's, that's told about two men that were um, in the middle of a drought. And both of them were praying for rain. But then one man goes out and he starts digging a ditch while the other one just continues to pray. Which of these two men do you think trusted God would come through? The one that prepared, the one that dug a ditch, the one that set things up because when the time comes, he wants to be ready for it because he believes God's going to bring it. Noah built the ark before he ever saw the first raindrop because he knew that God was good to his word and eventually he was going to have to get in that thing. Like he couldn't have waited until it started raining to build the ark. He wouldn't have made it. Do you have the trust in God to go ahead and dig the ditch before you ever see the rain? Do you have trust to build the ark before you see any clouds? Real trust requires action. And then finally, number three, crazy trust brings big results. Crazy trust brings big results. Guys, the bigger that you can trust God, that's, that's more He can show off. The bigger that you can trust God, the more that He can show off. And He's never going to let you down. You know why? Two reasons. Because He loves you, and He's not going to let Himself be put to shame. God wants to prove Himself faithful in your life. He wants to show you 
that you can trust Him. And He wants to show others through you that they can trust Him too. Psalms chapter 37, verse 25, says this, I was young, and now I'm old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. The writer of this psalm, he's saying, I've lived a, I've lived a whole lot of days, and never once have I seen God's people get left out to dry. Never once have I seen someone make that leap and God turn his back on him. Never have I seen the righteous forsaken. And guess what? Your family gets the benefits too. He's never seen the children begging for bread. See, we need to trust God even when it seems crazy. In fact, we need to trust God especially when it seems crazy. That crazy kind of trust brings big results. If your dreams or your plans don't seem crazy and don't scare you just a little bit, then those aren't God's plans for you. I want to challenge you today. If you're about to go for something and the only thing holding you back is fear, do it afraid. Do it afraid. Test him. Try him out. He won't let you down. Trust God in crazy ways. Be that person of bold faith just like Noah. See, he didn't, he didn't have any evidence before he built the ark. He simply were, went on the word that God gave to him. And I told you last week that Every week you're going, to be able to, you're going to be able to spot the hero of this story. And many of us after hearing that would think, well, the hero's Noah. But he's not the hero of this story. And The hero of the entire Bible, his name is Jesus. And the whole Bible is written about his life. He wasn't, he wasn't walking the earth in, in Noah's time. But everything that's in the Old Testament was leading up to the point that he would be born. The Old Testament all looked to it. In fact, there was hundreds of prophecies. Hundreds of of people over thousands of years said, there's a guy that's coming and he's going to save us. We just have to keep looking. They had to keep waiting. Jesus is in this story too. See, you can find Jesus represented by the ark. The ark is representative of Jesus. See, Noah, Noah and his family were found inside the ark. And the Bible says that the outside was sealed by God himself. That no water could come in. No water was going to leak in because it wasn't Noah pulling the door. The outside of the boat was sealed by God. Didn't matter how much the storm raged around him, it never hurt Noah or his family. It never got in and damaged Noah and his family. See, when your life is found in Christ, meaning when I trust, 
When I trust in God, when I trust in the, the, the work that Jesus did for me, the price that Jesus paid for me, it doesn't matter what you come up against. God will cause you to prevail. God will cause you to triumph. God will give you the victory. Doesn't matter how big the storm in your life is. Guys, if you can make sure that your life is hidden in the presence of God, meaning that everything that I am is swallowed up by everything that He is. When my life is in that place, nothing can touch me. It's the same for you. I'm not special up here just because God called me to pastor. He's called you to do something too. Maybe it's not to pastor. Maybe it is to pastor. Maybe it's to be the best teacher that, that, that you can possibly be. Maybe God's called you to interact with people from day to day and just give them a little bit of hope and joy every time that they talk with you. But it doesn't matter who we are, what we're called to, if our lives are marked by our trust in God, no storm that ever comes against us can, can, can beat us. In fact, Isaiah chapter 40, uh, 54, verse 17 of the New Living Translation says this, But in, the, in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. He's talking to God's people. No weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. If your life is hidden inside of the presence of God... If my life is swallowed up by God and used for His glory, nothing that comes against me is going to prevail. Now, it, may, it might take some shots. You might end, end up with a black eye and a busted lip because life has a tendency to do that. But if you don't let it, it won't conquer you. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors through Christ who saved us. If you're having struggles today, if you're hurting today, if you're having issues, if you're coming up against battles and fights and you just don't feel like you can win, lean on Jesus. Find yourself in the ark. Let God protect you. See, protection, preservation, being delivered from harm, these are all benefits of those people that trust in God. And just like Noah, you can trust God, even when it seems crazy. Well, thanks for joining us today. I pray that this message had an incredible impact on your life. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out online at summitview.online. We hope we get to see you on a Sunday very, very soon. But until then, have a great week.